How's everybody doing? Good. Happy Thanksgiving post. Is that right? Something like that. Hope you had a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving day. I might look a little more plump than normal. I was just being polite. I'm sticking to that story. So, um, you know, I like to pick on Jeff Ochoa every chance I get. So Jeff's a huge, what we call, USC fan. And, you know, USC was in a little bit of a drought against UCLA, but yesterday they experienced victory. And and I heard they kicked Jeff out of the Coliseum this morning. He stuck around. He could not leave. He just stayed and stayed. So they they booted him in time for church. So I'm glad you can join us. Yes. So he was reveling in his victory. Congratulations. Um, So let me me see what else. Decorations. Are they beautiful or what? You know, yeah. So... Last weekend, I left, and it was normal church, and I showed up Monday morning in the office, and it was Christmas church, and it was just so festive, so happy. Um, I even listened to, I'm driving uh, uh, on the way to church this morning, and I heard an Elvis song, like, you know, you just can't go wrong with Elvis and Christmas music. I just think it's fantastic. Um, Anyway, so our decorations are up at home. I did my 15 minutes of hanging lights, and then my wife spent all day doing stuff on the inside of the house, so I thought that was, that was fine. Um, I said, I got, you know, I got the Lord's work to do, honey. So anyway, our stuff is up, so I'm excited about that. Um, most of you know, if not everybody knows, Pastor John's not here this weekend or next. Um, he came down with pneumonia. We did the best we could to let people know. We didn't know people would be coming here to um, listen to him, so um, you're stuck with me. I apologize, but uh, it's going to be good, I promise. But keep PJ and Kay in your prayers um, as he continues to recover. Um, we have today Psalm 90. We posted that Tuesday, so if you had a chance to look, then you were able to read. Did anybody read Psalm 90? Get a chance to read it? Good. Excellent. Um, we have five more Psalms, and then we're going to be done. The first weekend in January will be our last Psalm. That's January 2 and 3. Um, next week is Psalm 91. The week after is Psalm 2. The week after, Pastor Dave will be preaching out of Psalm 143, and I don't remember after that. And then on January 9 and 10, a while back, you might remember, I read an email from that friend of mine that does ministry in Washington, D.C. And um, I'd hoped to get him on the calendar for sometime next year. So he texted me about a week and a half ago, and he goes, how about January 9 and 10? I'm like, well, that's next year. That's perfect. So Dan Frost and his wife, Lori, will be here um, from D.C., and he'll be preaching at all three services. And we're going to kind of make a big deal about that because it might be something really, really wonderful to bring somebody to. Make sense? So that's January 9 and 10. We'll, we'll fill you in as that develops some more, but I'm really, really excited about that. Um, yeah, so I think I got all that out of the way. Yes, okay. Um, we're going to read Psalm 91, or Psalm 90 rather, first, and then we're going to pray, and then I'm going to share a little story like I like to do. So open up your Bibles to Psalm 90. pretty cool. We've had a, I, I don't know, today for some reason, just a ton of visitors. And so if you're in the service visiting with us, we pray that you experience the Lord's love for sure. And uh, I know you'll experience the love of this church. It's a great church. So welcome. Um, it's really, really good to have you. Psalm 90. Let's read. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. 
You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. In evening it fades and withers away. Verse 7, For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh or like a whisper. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or, if due to strength, maybe 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone, and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years that we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Let's pray. God, we have much, much, much to be thankful for. So we thank you, the giver of all good things. We praise you. Lord, the holidays can be tough for some of us. And so, Lord, I pray an extra measure of your grace and your strength. Thank you for your word. Direct us in it. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. The phenomenal philanthropist Andrew Carnegie desperately wanted more life. Towards the end of his life, he felt that he could make a lasting contribution to society if he had 10 more years. And so he offered $200 million for another decade. That's $55,000 a day. That's $38 a minute. Clearly, nobody could accommodate this request. Comedy writer Goodman Ace came up with a wonderful idea. He suggested, I actually like this one, that we have a 13th month instead are inserted between December and January. Kind of like that. It would be a month of quiet reflection, he proposed, to remember things that you've forgotten and that would help to tidy up your life. Benjamin Franklin referred to time as money. We've heard that before. And in Poor Richard's Almanac, Ben Franklin says, Don't squander time, for that's the stuff that life is made of. Carl Sandburg compared time to a sand pile that we run our fingers through, and it's gone. Matthew Arnold referred to time as a daily miracle. Various proverbs have spoken of time as impossible to recall and impossible to retrieve. The Christian should treasure every second of time, savoring the moments for the glory of our Lord. These few precious days are but a prelude to eternity. What a great quote. I'm going to summarize Psalm 90 twice. I'm going to give you the first one, which I kind of put together, and I'm going to give you one that's word for word that I copied from one of my commentaries. I just like them both. Psalm 90, this is the oldest of the psalms, and this is a psalm from Moses, which is what makes it the oldest. It's the only psalm that Moses wrote. A lot of people don't know that Moses wrote a psalm. Psalm 90, pretty cool. Moses, as it says in the, the heading of Psalm 90, is the man of God. It deals with themes that began with the fall of our first parents and will continue to be important and perhaps puzzling until the return of our Savior. Some of the themes in Psalm 90 are this, eternal God and the frailty of humanity, a holy God and sinful man, life and death, 
the meaning of life in a confused and difficult world. How did Moses manage to become a man of God? He spent 40 years in pagan Egypt, which ended in failure. 40 years in Midian as a humble shepherd. And 40 more years leading a funeral march through the wilderness, where Moses himself disobeyed the Lord and struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock and was not allowed to enter into the promised land because of it. Life was not easy for Moses who wrote this psalm, but he triumphed nonetheless. And in the psalm he shared his insights so that we too might have strength for the journey that's ahead of us so that we too might end well. Summary number two. Man's life is but a journey back to dust. Dawn springing grass bleached before evening. Seventy or eighty years, a mere span, a bird's flight, a soldier's brief watch, a dream, a swift flowing stream ending with a whisper. Nor are the swift years trouble free. Sin and divine anger add terrors. The earlier years, affliction, and in age, trouble and sorrow. In Psalm 90, it is all beautifully expressed, but deeply melancholy. And if that were not enough, it's profoundly pessimistic. (laughs) But the great backdrop of man's brief life is the eternity of God in this psalm. Man's home in all generations, from everlasting to everlasting, is God and God alone. The eternal God has shaped our existence He judges our achievements and teaches us wisdom by which to handle all of life's experiences. God has pity. He shows covenant love. He infuses gladness and justice into life. Even the creature's frail life finds meaning as its its creator favors him and his favor rests upon him. Otherwise, our life is indeed nasty, brutish, and short. Interesting. The big idea of Psalm 90 is this. Life is short. God wants us to number our days to make every day count. Here's the outline. And this will stay up for a little bit if you want to continue to write. The outline. The stability of man, of man found clearly in the everlasting God. The brevity of man. We're here but for a flicker. The sinfulness of man. What we have to fight at all times. And then the hope of man found again only in the Lord. This psalm has a healthy blend of light and dark, of warning and encouragement. Let's start with verses 1 and 2. The stability of man. Great, great, great opening verses. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born and you gave birth to the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What an amazing opening verse. And it goes to what Ryan was saying in worship when he was referring to Rob Selleck preaching on Psalm 23, when he just, Rob focused on Lord, and that's what this does here. It's Lord. He's crying out to God, the creator of the universe, our almighty heavenly father, Yahweh, all-powerful, all-knowing. Lord, the Lord what? Has been. Lord, you have been. Not have often been. Not should be. Not sometimes are. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in every single generation. 
It's mind-blowing. Moses, as mentioned, spent 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in Midian, and 40 years leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. In biblical terms, when it says, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, what's a generation, right? Begs the question. Biblically, it means about 35 to 40 years, right? So in in just putting a number to it, a generation biblically is about 35 to 40 years. Therefore, Moses spent three generations experiencing God. And indeed, he died at the age of 120, as we can read in the end of Deuteronomy chapter 34. Moses spent a generation... 40 years in Egypt, another generation, 40 years in Midian, and another 40 years, a generation in the wilderness. Moses could clearly and boldly proclaim what he writes in Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. Especially when you consider this. In the book of Numbers, chapter 33, we're given a review or a recap of their 40-year journey. You don't have to turn there. If you want to write that down, you can go to there later, where it lists all the different places that they camped. There are at least 42 different places in that 40-year journey that Moses and the nation of Israel camped out during that 40-year wilderness journey. So, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in Midian, and 42 places in the 40 years in the wilderness. Under various circumstances, in various lands, and in various generations, Moses came to recognize and rely on the Lord to provide a dwelling place for His people. Psalm 71.3 says this, Be to me a rock of habitation to which I may continually, continually, generation after generation come. Hear this, no matter where Moses lived, no matter what the circumstances, God was always His home. No matter where Moses lived, no matter what the circumstances, God was always his home. He knew how to find strength. He knew how to find comfort. He knew how to find encouragement. He knew how to find help for the demands of each and every day of life. Moses knew where to go. He knew how to abide in the Lord. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, Jesus says, Abide in me, for apart from me, what can you do? Nothing. That's what Scripture says. Abide in me, for apart from me you can do nothing, it says in the book of John. Moses knew how to abide in the Lord. He knew how to live in the Lord. What about you? What about me? Do we live in the Lord? Is He our dwelling place? What or who is your dwelling place when the daily demands of life come upon you and come upon me? Where do we dwell? Check this out. We're going to start at the bottom of verse 2. We're going to work our way towards the top of verse 1. Look in verse 2. This is, I just think this is cool. I don't know if it grips you, but it grips me, these things, right? So at the end of verse 2, he's described himself as the everlasting to everlasting God. An infinite, huge, massive God. Right? And then you go back into, in the middle of verse 2. Then he's the world. Right, He talks about creating the world. So he's infinite, and then the world, and then you see the word earth, and then you see mountains, and then you see dwelling place for us. I just think that's amazing. Right? Everlasting to everlasting, the creator of the world, the creator of the earth, the creator of mountains, our dwelling place. God is so good. God is so good. 
God offers himself. God offers himself. He doesn't create something. He doesn't create an earth or a world or mountains. He offers himself to his people to be their dwelling place forever and forever. He is as relevant today in this generation as he was in Moses' day in the three generations that he lived. And he will be a dwelling place for the generations that follow after us. I hear so many people say, oh, I'd hate to raise kids in, this gen- in the next generation. They'll be okay. If they make God their dwelling place, they'll be just fine. Because God will be a dwelling place in every and all generations. Can I get an amen? Thank you. They'll be fine. Praise be to our God who provides an unchanging dwelling place for an ever-changing world and an ever-changing mankind. God provides an unchanging dwelling place. We're so, so fortunate. What is a dwelling place? Well, in this text, it it refers to a refuge, a place of safety, a place of security, a shelter for help when somebody is in hardship or in danger. Once they were settled into the promised land, the Lord had given them specific instructions for the nation of Israel to establish six cities as places of refuge. There's a map that's going to show up. I know that screen's out. I, don't, I, I keep looking. I don't even know why I'm bothered because I can't even really see that well. Can you see there's some red dots on the left side of the Jordan River and on the right side? There's three red dots on the left and three red dots. Those are cities of refuge. There was 48 cities given to the nation, uh, uh, to the Levitical tribe. And six of them were to be cities of refuge. And so in the Canaan side, the west side of the Jordan River, on your map it would be this way, um, there was Kadesh at the top, Shechem in the middle, and Hebron on the bottom. And on the right side, or the east side, it was Golan uh, at the top, Ramoth, Gilead in the middle, and Bezer in the bottom. Six places of refuge. This made it possible for an accused manslayer to reach a city of refuge very quickly. The Lord is likened or compared to a place of refuge. And he wants us to know that we can run to him for safety, for shelter, for help, for security, and that he can be found quickly because he's near. Isn't that powerful? Sanctuary. You ever heard that like in movies or people cry out, Sanctuary! I need sanctuary! That's what it refers to. Running to a place of refuge and crying out sanctuary. And it was not limited to God's people, but it was extended to the strangers and the wanderers among them. And it's a great picture of Christ who dwelt among us and came so that Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, could find refuge in Him. Wow, what a beautiful picture. We are sinners, sometimes premeditated, sometimes accidental, but we can take sanctuary in our Lord through Christ. The Lord, then and now, is still our refuge, our dwelling place. In all generations, people have taken refuge in Him, and we need to do the same. Let me ask you this, church. Where is your dwelling place? Our everlasting God has been and will be a safe place where we can go to for help from generation to generation. Go to Him. Run to Him. Ask Him for help. That was verses 1 and 2. 3 through 6. The brevity of man. The brevity, the briefness, the flicker of man, the dust of man. Verses 3 through 6. Let's read. You turn man back into dust. 
and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight is like yesterday, or is like a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. It flourishes, sprouts, and in the evening it withers. The brevity of our life. These verses show us the disparity, the difference between the infinite and everlasting God and the finite, temporary human. Verse 3, he says, Dust. You turn man back into dust. We make so much of this life sometimes, but we're reminded that we return to dust. Wow, what a visual. Look at verse 4. For a thousand years is like yesterday, or a thousand years is like a watch in the night. Let me do the math. I love math. And so what that means, if a thousand years is like yesterday, right? So a thousand years, there's 365 days in a year. That's 365,000 days are like a day to God. A watch in the night, the other part of verse 4, a watch in the night is a four-hour watch. So you need six of those to make a day. So you've got to multiply a thousand years by six to be six thousand. That's another way of saying, or it's like six thousand years is like a day to me. So we live 70, 80, 90, 100 years, whatever that is. Well, if a thousand, six thousand years is like a day, then what's a, a hundred? If we live to be a hundred... It's one-tenth of that or one-sixtieth or whatever. And then you do the backwards math and our life's like 23.7 minutes or something. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't do the work. You know, in math, you've got to show the work, right? Anyway, it's just so fleeting, but I love it. It's a flicker. But what I love is that although our lives are but a flicker and although our lives are but dust, the Lord provides a dwelling place for his people, for all generations. It's hard to get my mind wrapped around that. Why would he do that? Why would he be there for us if we're but a flicker and our lives are but dust? He loves us that much. It's amazing to me. In the school of life, we need to learn two important lessons. Life is brief and it passes by quickly. We, as his children, are to make the most of our time. And the second thing is life is difficult and at times it seems futile. But that's what the Lord does and uses in order to mature us and get us ready for eternity. The school of life is preparation for an eternity with God. And without Him, we cannot learn our lessons, we cannot pass our tests, or make progress from kindergarten to grad school. I love that. The older we get, the better we understand that life is brief and moves very swiftly. I was just 20 a few days ago, I swear it. I'm telling you, like, are you kidding me? It was not that long ago. The sooner we understand how short life is, the more pressing will be our obligation to spend it for eternity. The, the sooner we understand how short life is, the more pressing will be our obligation to spend it for eternity. In doing so, we will also recognize our need and desire for the Lord to be our dwelling place. That makes sense, right? 7 through 12. Let's read those. Verse 7. For we have been consumed. These are dark verses. I just want to warn you. We have been consumed by your anger, Moses writes. And by your wrath, we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh, like a whisper. 
As for, the, as for the days of our life, they contain 70, maybe 80, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due to you? And he concludes beautifully, So teach us to number our days that we may present to you and live with wisdom. In these verses, we see Israel's confession of their sinfulness. Moses was reflecting on Israel's sad and disappointing experience in the wilderness at one of those 42 places at a place called Kadesh. Turn to Numbers 13. We're going to read parts of Numbers 13 and Numbers 14. It's the beginning of the New Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Turn to Numbers 13, a few verses in 13, then we'll hit a few in chapter 14 as well. This is what Moses is arguably referring to in Psalm 90, verses 7 through 12. So Numbers, chapter 13, first couple verses. So they're going through the wilderness, and they're going on their way to the promised land. In verse 1, the Lord says to Moses, Send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give. Not just spy it out and let me know if you think it's a good idea. Don't check it out and let me know if the price is right. We might make a deal. Right? Go. I'm going to give it to you. So to the sons of Israel, I'm going to give it to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of the, of the tribes. Okay, great. So he does that. Okay, turn to uh, verse 25. Same chapter, 13. The spies come back. When they return from spying out the land, at the end of 40 days... They proceeded to come to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the people at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. And this is what they said. We went to the promised land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. Good start. And hey, look, here's some fruit. Verse 28, downward spiral. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak and Amalek living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites. And the, oh, oh, we can't do it. Jump over to chapter 14. So, in response, verse 1, the congregation lifted up their voices and they cried and they wept. That night, and the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. This is such a sad story. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt. Really? In a land of slavery and bondage? Or would that we have died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and go back. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of the, of the assembly and the congregation. But Joshua and Caleb, they also were there. They were two of the twelve spies. They tore their clothes and they spoke to everyone. The land which passed through to, that we passed through to spy out is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, then He will bring us into that land and He'll give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. But don't rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. The Lord is with us. Don't fear them. But the congregation said, stone them. They're crazy. 
And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent. Verse 11. <coughs> Excuse me. The Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? How long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst, I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them, and I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. <coughs> Excuse me. What an amazing story. What a sad story. When the nation of Israel <coughs> refused to obey God and enter the promised land, this foolish decision led to four decades, 40 years of trials and testings in the wilderness why an entire generation died off. <coughs> Excuse me. The only people that made it from that, inge- that entire generation that died off, two people made it, Joshua and Caleb. I love that story. Although we know God to indeed be slow to anger, as Scripture declares in numerous places, <coughs> the repeated complaints and the rebellions of His people tested even God's long sufferings. Let me ask you this, church. This is what's great. This is real pointed with this story. If that's true, if God's anger burned against His people for not going into a land that He promised, into a land that He was going to conquer and give them victory to, should we not also conclude that the Lord would be disappointed in your sin and my sin when we do not enter the conquered lands that He wants to provide in our lives? Do you get that? I'm going to say it again. Should we not also conclude that the Lord would be disappointed in your sin and in my sin if we do not enter the conquered lands that He has provided for us? Sometimes we don't go. Sometimes we don't go. And instead, like the Israelites, we go back. We go back. We scoff at those or at God and just say, we can't do it. And then we go back. We go back to the bondage. We go back to the slavery. We go back to being oppressed. I believe God has victories for me and he has victories for everyone here. But I think it's sinful if we don't claim those victories. What victories are going uncelebrated because of that sin in your life and in my life? What territories does the Lord want you and I to conquer? It's a huge question. Very, very powerful thought. There's victories that God wants us to celebrate, but our sin gets in the way. There's territories that God wants us to take over, but we get in the way. The only way we can do that is we need to make God our dwelling place. Amen? Another contribution that makes life brief is God's wrath against sin, as we see in Psalm 90. He's not happy about it. Moses declares in this psalm that man is consumed by God's anger, for he sees man's sins Even the so-called secret sins, it says in Psalm 90, are revealed to God, which is kind of funny, right? They're not so secret. Nothing secret from the Lord. Since man is a sinner, all his life is spent under God's wrath, and his life is greatly limited, as it says in Psalm 90, to 70, maybe 80 years, which is about right. That's about an average life. Human life is not only short, it is also at times wearisome and burdensome. In verse 10, 
As it says, our days are like 70 years, maybe if we're strong, 80 years. This is an average person if they live to be 70. We would spend about 20 years sleeping out of 70. Interesting. We've got 50 left. 20 years working. Now we're at 40. We've got 30 left. Six years eating. Seven years playing. I had to think about that first, right? Because when we're little, right, we, all we do is play. I can't remember how old I was when I asked my mom to go outside. I'm going to go play when I quit using the word play. I might have been driving. I don't remember. It's very immature, right? It's like when you come, anyway, I'm going to go out and see my friends. But we played. Five years dressing. Interesting. Two years on the telephone. Probably more now, right? <laughs> Clearly. Three years waiting for things or somebody. A half a year tying our shoes. <laughs> Hilarious. I'm going Velcro, man, starting tomorrow. And then two and a half years for everything else. And that includes church. Interesting. Because life is so brief and because it is spent under God's wrath on sin, the psalmist, Moses, representing God's people, implored God for wisdom to number their days in verse 12 knowing that we have so few days to live. We finish our years, it says in verse 9, like a sigh, and we marvel that things went by so fast. Too often we fail in our life to recognize that the attacks of sin are more frequent, the roots of sin are more deeply concealed, and the consequences of sin are more dreadful than many of us know or admit. But God's grace is mightier than sin, so we must dwell with Him. Now is the time to ask God for wisdom, as it says in verse 12, and become better students and better stewards of our time and our opportunities. Let's wrap up with 13 through 17, the hope of man. Return, Lord, how long will it be? And show compassion to your servants, or be sorry for your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years that we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to, your, to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. This closing prayer emphasizes a couple things. It emphasizes God's compassion and His unfailing love. It emphasizes His desire to give us joy and satisfaction even in the midst of of, our, uh, of the trials and challenges of life. It emphasizes his ability to make life count for eternity. Look in verse 14. It says, Satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness. More likely, Moses is probably referring to the manna that fell every morning for six days a week to meet the physical needs of the people, as is recorded in Exodus chapter 16. It's also a picture of Jesus Christ, who is referred to as the bread of life. The manna sustained life for the Jewish people for 40 years. But Jesus, the bread of life, gives life to the whole world forever. So cool. When we take time each day to be with the Lord and to feed on His Word, to make Him our dwelling place, then we walk with Him and we enjoy His blessings. In verse 15 it says, Make us glad according to the days that you have afflicted us and the years that we have seen evil. In other words, 40 years of hardship. Lord, just give us 40 years of not hardship. 20 years of trouble, give us 20 years of peace. Whatever that is, that's what that verse is saying. Moses prayed that God would give him and his people as much joy in the future as the sorrow they had experienced in the past. Make sense? But some things, church, may not come to realization until later. 
That's just the way it works with God sometimes, until eternity. But that's okay. God promises His children far more blessing than the burdens that they will ever carry. Far more. And like Moses, it's what Paul also had in mind. In Romans 8.18, it'll be on the screen, it says this. This is cool stuff. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that is coming my way that will be revealed to us. It's incomparable. Yeah, but compared to what? Like, what's it going to be like? I can't describe it. It's incomparable. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul also writes, so he wrote Romans and he wrote 2 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians. Let's see what he has to say there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and then we're going to look in chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse five. Right after Acts, right after Romans. Verse five, for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, boy, we feel that sometimes, don't we? But here's the cool part after the comma. So also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Turn to the right to chapter 4, verses 16, 17, and 18. What, does verse, what word does verse 16 start with? Therefore. Has everybody got that? Do you guys ever heard that thing when in the Bible when you, you know, when you see the word therefore, you should say, what is therefore there for? You guys ever heard that? Right? Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, it's something preceded it. Right? So, blah, 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 therefore. So always ask, what is therefore, therefore? Therefore, having said all that, this is cool, do not lose heart. Sometimes we lose heart. Why? Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day, generation after generation, for momentary light affliction. Sometimes our affliction doesn't feel momentary, does it? And it doesn't feel light. But when it's compared, it is. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond any and all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Wow, we have so much waiting for us. It is incomparable for us to even try to comprehend the afflictions of this world for the glory that awaits us. We're so fortunate. And on some level, I hope that's an encouragement to you. Moses lost his temper in the wilderness, and he was not able to go to the promised land. But he got there, for sure, with Jesus. And he shared God's glory with Elijah in the transfiguration with the three disciples. Powerful stuff. Look at verse 17 back in Psalm, as we wrap up, in Psalm 90. He says, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm the work of our hands. We cannot work for Him unless He works on us. 
Does that make sense? We cannot work for him unless he works upon us. That's what verse 17 says. Therefore, we must dwell with God. To make every moment count, we must dwell with him so he can work upon us so that we can work for him. Essentially, Psalm 90 does this. Moses says, life is brief. And so in verse 12, he says, teach us to number our days. Life is difficult. So in verse 14, he says, satisfy us every morning. And he says, life is futile. And so he says, establish the work of our hands by working upon us as we dwell with you. In verse 17. God answered those prayers for Moses and he'll answer them for us, for us as well. And lastly, I love this. If I understand it, I think it's pretty powerful. The Japanese proverb says this. Each moment is the meeting place of two eternities. Each moment is the meeting place of two eternities. Right? So each moment, we've got to sit there, man, am I, do I want to do stuff that's everlasting for the Lord or not? Each moment. I, I, you know, I want to spend my time wisely, for sure. For sure. Let me close with Psalm few verses out of Psalm 91. We're going to close that in prayer. Uh, with, yeah, yeah, close our, our, our time with this prayer. So just pray with me if you will. Psalm 91, the first four verses say this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Amen and amen.